Barbie, like it, it will, it'll hold up for like my nine and twelve year old. They'll, they'll enjoy it. Um, yeah. Well, there's a lot of mature theme, a lot of you know death and uh, existentialism and all that sort of stuff sure. as part of the the thematic background of the of the movie. So there's that. I guess I'd say it this way: it's fine for a nine and eleven year old. I think the target audience of this movie is actually a little bit older than that. Right. I'll tell you if you if you enjoy movies about uh you know facing down death, mm-hmm. uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish is uh, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I know I I remember you tweeting your rave reviews of oh, Puss in Boots. The it sequel. was so good. I I I was it was Christmas Eve. Was it no? It was New Year's Eve Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you, what do you call that? Is, it, is that what you call it? New Year's Eve Day? I guess New I guess you could call it New Year's Eve even if it's not the e the night yet. New Year's Whatever. Afternoon. It was December 31st. It was December 31st. <laughs> so we're like walking around the mall. I had nothing to do. And they're like, oh, let's go see Puss in Boots. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not <laughs> sitting through this crap. Right. And they finally convinced me because I had nothing to do. And next thing I know, I'm like, are you guys all right? Are you, this, is, are, this is too good. Is this too intense for you? I was like, this is it's changing my life. I don't remember exactly what it was about, but it changed my life. <laughs> it, it is a deep, dark study of, of death and, and how you live your life. All right, so uh, I think what we're recommending to people is a uh, an existential double feature of Puss in Boots two yes. and Barbie. Yeah, and as you well know, every, you know, whenever I see like filmed entertainment, I tend to like, you know, Walter Mitty myself into like. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I spent like a good like few weeks walking around the house saying, "I am Puss in Boots." <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Chef. Thank you, Chef. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by my co-host, US Bets Senior Analyst Jeff Edelstein. This week on the show, we'll discuss yawn, another NFL player busted for betting on NFL games, a sports book basically running out of money and getting shut down, and what happens when someone selects Gabe Davis third overall in a best ball draft. Plus, this podcast is dropping a day earlier than usual because I'm off to Vegas to cover a big boxing weekend, so I will make some boxing bankroll bets at the end of the show and resist the urge to place an over-under bet on the number of bed bugs in my hotel room. Yeah, you're going to need it. I, I hope you had to take Xanax because you're going to need a few, I think, this weekend. Yeah. Uh, listen, we're also going to be welcoming uh, Brianne Dora Shawal to talk about Special Olympics, to talk about how that relates to sports betting. And talk about RG stuff in general. But first, as always, Eric, plenty of news to discuss. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week. An inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. This week, I learned how to pronounce Yoma Uwazurike's name because he's the latest NFL player, uh, the 10th in 2023, to get suspended for violating the league's gambling policy. Wazurike is a defensive lineman for the Broncos, uh, was heading into his second season after being drafted in the fourth round in 2022, but will miss at least the entire 2023-24 season 
for betting on NFL games. We don't have any details beyond that. Don't know if he bet on Broncos games specifically, but here we have yet another player either not understanding that he can't bet on league games or assuming that he would get away with it. I'm really not sure what else to say at this point, except I remain curious to see how the league will respond if an actual ticket-selling star, specifically a star quarterback, ever violates the policy. I guess one topic to speculate on is whether this wave of suspensions related to 2022 betting will be the last big one, and there will be almost zero active players breaking the rules in the fall of 2023. Jeff, uh, thoughts on that possibility and on anything else here? You know, if I'm in the NFL, I hope what you say is right, you know, that they, you know, they've kind of like wiped the slate of people who are, don't understand the rules. But again, and, you know, not to sound like a broken record here, this is an NFL problem, not a player problem. The rules are like confusing, need to be updated uh, here. Here's my three point plan. Okay. You can bet on other sports and you can bet on them whenever and wherever you want. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, if you bet on the NFL, that's a year long suspension. If you bet on your own team, you're suspended for the rest of your life. The end. I like Three those. simple rules. Uh, I, I think they're good going forward. I think, uh, you know, that the um, the for life sounds steep if we were to sort of retroactively apply it. But going yep. forward, if, if we make clear that that's the rule, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. It's simple. You know, yeah. it's because it, it, this, this, the, the, all these players, well, the majority of them seem to have gotten caught up in this. Where can you bet? Where can't you bet? Mm-hmm. Nonsense. It's nonsense. I just don't understand. how when they, when they sat down to create these rules, how do they even get to that point? Right. It doesn't make sense. I right. don't understand. And if, if any, like, okay, you're an NFL player who's an NBA fan or whatever, and where are you more likely to place a bet than when you're with all your team friends on the team bus talking NBA? Oh, let me see what the odds are tonight. Oh, you know, and, and, so it's that's the most natural place to go betting on other sports is when you're with your buddies on the team talking about sports and and, yeah. and wanting to place a bet and and I get now though that at least at least the sort of I didn't understand that that was how the rules worked that that part hopefully is is over with but it is, I agree with you completely as we've said many times it is a stupid rule that makes no real sense yeah it just I mean I just I mean, I feel like it was somebody's job to do this, and they felt like it was just too easy. It took it was going to take like three minutes to put the rules together, and they had to like you know make it make it like convoluted to like you know so that people knew that they actually like had a job to do. I guess (laughs) you know seriously, because really it should have been two minutes. I just did it right. Yes, can I put you in charge of the NFL, Jeff? I I wouldn't mind being in charge of some aspects of the NFL. Right. In, in, in charge of their sports betting, sports gambling policy? Sure. Yeah, You're I think qualified so. as anyone. I what do you think that's worth 300, 400 grand a year? <laughs> I I'm trying to get you the job. I'm not ready to negotiate salary. All right. Well, you got 10%, remember. Oh, well then, let's uh, bump it up a little bit. Let's we'll take right. the high end. 400 okay. 400 grand a year sounds right to me. Um I think that this steady stream of suspensions and, and the league going out of its way to re-explain the rules to everybody these last couple of months and how profile this has all been, I would think it ought to just about stop NFL players from violating the rules. But 32 teams, 53 roster spots per team, plus players who move in and out of the roster and the practice squad during the season, we're talking somewhere around 2,000 NFL players you're not going to go 2000 for 2000. Um, so like I'm, you know, for this same time period in 2024, basically like the next NFL off season from March to July, 
that same period that's seen 10 suspensions this year, I'd set the line at one and a half for 2024. Like somebody's going to screw up, but I think the number will be way down. Do you think that's a decent line? Do you have, do you struggle to go over or under one and a half? I mean, I, I, you know, based on prior history, I guess I'm going to take the over, but I know, but your, your point is well taken that, you know, that maybe this, they're like cleaning out the, you know, cleaning out the drawers here. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and before we move on, I just want to give a shout out to our colleague, Matt Rybaltowski. Uh, he had a good source telling him like a month ago that someone on the Broncos was being investigated and he was all set to break this one like he broke the, the news about the Colt player, but he couldn't quite get anyone with the Colorado Commission to confirm anything. Um, he had this anonymous source that he trusted. But you need a second source, and Colorado was no commenting everything. Uh, but, you know, after the fact, now I want to give Matt a pat on the back for having known about this for several weeks, and it was only the stupid rules of responsible journalism that prevented him from breaking the story. Yeah, I wish he'd go with more of a tabloid approach, but that's yeah, that's a discussion for another day. Right. He should at least start a, a burner Twitter account to be able right. to, to, to report this stuff. Fair enough. Uh, moving on to our second story. Uh it can be tough for a mid-level or smaller mobile sports book to make money in this competitive industry, and that was underscored last week by the news that PlayUp, an Australian book only operating in New Jersey and Colorado, was shut down by the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement amid financial difficulties. According to the DGE, PlayUp was failing to provide some pieces of financial information, including bank statements and payroll registers, and has outstanding invoices owed to the DGE. And as customers have noted online, some of them have had trouble withdrawing funds. The trouble started with FTX, uh, the ill-fated crypto company run by Sam Bankman-Fried, promising a $35 million investment in PlayUp in January 2022 with plans to possibly buy PlayUp outright. But FTX soon had big problems, as Ponzi schemes sometimes do. And long story short, PlayUp needed money and investors, and FTX wasn't going to be able to help on that front. There was also a whole controversy we've covered in the past with the split between PlayUp and its former U.S. CEO, Leila Mintas, who filed various suits back and forth. Uh, bottom line, PlayUp is not currently operational as a sports book in New Jersey, although it can potentially reapply in the future. And it seems headed down the same path in Colorado, though it is still operational there as of this recording. Jeff, does PlayUp situation seem to be more an outlier or an indicator of how hard it's going to be going forward for smaller mobile sports books? And any other thoughts you may have on this whole mess? Yeah, I don't understand how Colorado hasn't, like, as of this taping, hasn't completely shuttered the site yet. Like, mm -hmm. what are they waiting? They're, they're sort of the, you know, they're working on it. Like, I mean, really? I mean, come on. Flip, flip a flip, switch, right. Flip a switch, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I don't, that's a good question. Is it an outlier and indicator? You know, I think it, I, I'm, I'm going to split the difference here. I kind of think it's both. Um, mm -hmm. It's an outlier because, you know, like reading about this and hearing about this company kind of reminds me of Matthew McConaughey's speech in The Wolf of Wall Street. You know, it's Fugazi, it's Fugazi, it's a Wazi, it's a Woozy, it's fairy dust, you know? <laughs> right, right. I mean, between FTX and the CEO lawsuits and, you know, I mean, clearly this company is unwell, right? I mean, it, it's that's that much is clear. But I also think it's an indicator, right? Because FanDuel and DraftKings are currently so dominant. Bet365 and Fanatics are, are going to be coming hard for them. You know, we're gonna, you know, who knows where we're going to be in a year from now. You got Barstool, Caesars, BetMGM all hanging around. I'm still not discounting Disney, ESPN doing something, you know. Right. Bottom line, I think a lot of these smaller operators are going to get squeezed. You know, we've been hearing the word consolidation really since day one. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, it just, my, it just feels like we're, we're going to 
find us getting much closer to that as as you know the year or two ticks by. I feel like it's coming, like in a big way. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is part of that whole larger story. And I, I think you're absolutely right that they're they're an outlier in the sense that they got in bed with FTX specifically and that imploded so the company had no money and had to slash staff. That basically they're an outlier in that they went from tiny operator hoping to make it to sinking ship very quickly. You know, the speed at which they right. descended is is an outlier, but the general story of a small book not getting any traction and exiting the space that's yeah certainly part of a, a larger trend. It was interesting this week to to look back at my old co-host John Brennan's articles covering the playup versus Mintas legal situation. Um, I had edited out all those at the time. I had read the letters FTX a million times, and yet <laughs> I had no recollection of it when Sam Bankman-Fried hit the headlines. Um, but you know, at the core of everything was playup accusing Mintas of blowing the FTX deal. In retrospect, I guess PlayUp was screwed whether the FTX right. deal got done or not. Hence um, it being a Fugazi, Fugazi, Obazi, Awuzi. Exactly. Dude, uh, see, I don't remember anything Matthew McConaughey said in the movie. I just remember the the pounding his heart bit. That's well, and, that is all in that one scene. It was a great scene, right. really. I mean, that, and, that's and, a, that's that, and that he looked uncomfortably skinny because he just fin- filmed uh, Dallas Buyers Club. There should be an Oscar for like. You know, best like one-off appearance in a movie. You know, like you know, like right. Harvey Keitel in Pulp Fiction. You know what I mean? Matthew McConaughey, right? Like something below supporting actor, right? Like camp best cameo, essentially. Yeah, that's that's the word I'm looking yeah, for. Cause, yeah, because I mean, they sort of do they do that with the Emmys. You've got actor, supporting actor, and guest actor, which right. is you know more than a cameo usually, but like, uh, but yeah, like Olivia Coleman for the bear would be kind of right. cool if, if she gets something. And if that scene was in a movie, she should be eligible for something. Yeah. I, right. I like this idea. I, look at you, Jeff, you're solving all the NFL's gambling problems and improving the, the Oscars while you're at it. I am high. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Let's move on to our third story, which uh, takes us to your favorite leisure time activity, Jeff, uh, NFL best ball drafts. DraftKings hosted one over the weekend that went in some unusual directions as after Justin Jefferson was selected first and Christian McCaffrey second, the next three picks were Gabe Davis, Justin Ross, and George Pickens. Now, without me going pick by pick through the entire draft, I'll just sum up that nine of the 12 accounts entered were clearly tanking this thing, allowing three other accounts to draft absolutely loaded teams and get players like Bijan Robinson and Nick Chubb in the fifth round. One of the beneficiaries, Blackburn72419 was clearly not in on the scheme as he reported it to DraftKings and the DraftKings Game Integrity Committee took a look and voided the draft. DraftKings hasn't commented beyond that, so we don't know if any bans were handed down or if both of the other accounts drafting super teams were in on it or only one of them was, but suffice to say, nine of the 12 accounts were obviously compromised and weren't being subtle about it. Jeff, as a very active best ball player, how often do you think this sort of thing happens? How big a threat is collusion to best ball? And if you were this Blackburn guy, what's the internal struggle like in terms of whether to report this or sit back and enjoy your loaded best ball team? All right. So I've never really I've never experienced anything like this. Uh, mm-hmm. I have been in a few drafts where there's been some like really questionable picks um, but only like from one team. So if like, if, if, if it's like two people trying to tilt the draft, I mean, you're not going to succeed. Like, you know, it's just not, it, 
It's just it's like you're drafting an 11 team league instead of a 12 team league. Right. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, Justin Freeman of Run the Sims, he, he had an awesome poll the other day on Twitter. Uh, and he's basically asking if a cheater and 11 Confederates did this with only one super team coming out of it, you know, like Mahomes hurts Allen, Eckler, Bijan McCaffrey, you know, Jefferson Chase Cup, you know, the whole thing, right? Right. And he asked, what would this team's chances be to win the whole, you know, the whole tournament? Right. And his the four options were 80 percent ish, 20 percent ish, 5 percent ish, or less than 1 percent, right? Mm-hmm. And it, unlike any other poll you've ever seen on Twitter, this poll was like split in four. Hmm. Uh, 29% of people said about 20% would, you know, 20% chance, right. but everything, nothing was lower than 20 or higher than 27 outside hmm. of that. So it was really right. like, you know, quarter each. And I honestly, I think this team would probably have like less than 1% chance because yeah, they'd obviously win their 12 team league and get to the playoffs. Right. But at any point during that, that playoff run, if they run into one, you know, one or two team stacks or a game stack right. that goes off. It's over, you know, like, for instance, I like the Panthers and Jaguars are playing week 17. This team's not going to have any of those players that game. I mean, why can't it go, you know, 38, 35 in overtime? Right. You know what I mean? And as such, you know, so no. So to answer the question, what, what would I do? I'd have zero internal struggle. I'd go right to the police. OK, uh, you know, because, you know, I don't think I have that much of an advantage to begin with. And right. but really, we got to keep these best ball streets clean. You know, I, I kind of vote for Singaporean style justice when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> Actual caning, huh? Uh, that w- I would that would be the least. Yes. <laughs> OK, start with the caning and go from there. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm like just shocked by the scope of this particular effort. Um, like, I don't know how quickly these drafts fill, but it seems off the bat like a minor challenge to get 10 or 11 accounts all into the same best ball draft. Although, I don't know, you, you could tell me, I guess if you're all coordinating and it's like, well, they fill quick. I mean, I mean, okay. You know, but so if, but so if you, you have, have a chance, you have a if shot. you have 10 you, you people in on it or whatever, and you're you all like it. three, two, one click enter now. I guess I guess that's kind of what you have to do to to pull it off. Yeah, I think what that you probably have to be at the ready and somebody's got to enter a draft and be like the first guy or second guy into the draft and say now. You okay, so saying? when so when you enter it'll show you only one of 12 slots is filled and you'll be like, "Okay, guys, there's this one. Yeah, I was the first actually, one in." Yeah, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, underdog, you don't know how many people are in it until you hit enter. DraftKings, I think they do give you an indication of how many people are already in it. Okay. So that that's step one probably for DraftKings. They should probably like nix that. Right. Right. Yeah. That's that's a good idea. Um, I, but I'm also just blown away that you know you organize n- at least nine people with DraftKings accounts that are basically dummy accounts. Um, I don't know. It it seems like a a lot, a lot of, of work. It's a lot of effort for something you're almost certain not to get away with if you're this blatant about it. Right. Um, there is another version of this, I guess, where you're just making slightly fishy picks with a few accounts and and you can still get a better team but you know you can you take a guy like blackburn who's in there legitimately and and you're using some accounts to block his attempts to build the stacks he might want to build and you're setting up particularly strong week 17 teams for yourself maybe but as you said it's you know you can do all that and I don't know if I'm in the less than 1% camp. When you were running down those options, I was thinking I'm in the 5% camp, which is right. still kind of low to go to this level of effort. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, if, if I'm DraftKings, I'm getting really forthcoming really fast about what I'm doing to police this sort of thing. And and I'm announcing stiff penalties that, you know, these nine accounts and, and the real life people behind them are, are banned from 
my site for life. I, I don't think I'm sitting back and hoping that not too many people heard about this incident. Yeah, uh, well, it's bad because normally, in my experience, DraftKings is very quick to come back to me with either I'll get we'll get back to you, you know, give us a few hours, or no, or we're not going to comment on this. Mm-hmm. I, it was radio silence from the people I reached out to there, which was a little disappointing. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not sure why they wouldn't they wouldn't make a statement about this and and. I think I mean it might be it might be because they don't have a really good plan in place. I was I talked to Nick Rudman at Underdog right. and he said it's very you know between it, there's like auto you know it's automated in some respects, but he says mm-hmm. that a ton of time is spent manually like going over this. He said that they practically have a whole division like dedicated to this at this point. You know, yeah. So it's a lot of work to police these things. Yeah, I, I, it, it seems it would be. Um, I like. I don't know. I wonder what's going to happen at the end of the season. Like if I if I make the best ball finals with my team and I'm looking at the other lineups that are in there and I find, you know, just one lineup that has, say, both Justin Jefferson and Austin Eckler in it. Right. I'm telling DraftKings to go back and examine that initial draft because because that should never happen. You know, I don't know. It's it just there's a bit of a cloud over the whole best ball season, uh, at least among people who, who heard about this incident. And I, I think DraftKings would be smart to go very public with what they're doing, uh, doing about it and, and the, and whatever banning they're going to do. And, but it is, I guess it's hard to prove which, if either, which of the two players that aren't Blackburn, right. were in on it. Uh, so I don't know if you can ban either of them when it's clearly got to be one of them, but maybe not both. I don't know. It's uh, it is, it is messy. They, uh, it's but, a wazzy. It's a woozy. It is indeed. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. In an effort to be responsible podcasters, every few months, Jeff and I like to invite a responsible gambling expert to join us on the pod, and this is one of those episodes. Joining us for, I believe, her third Gamble On appearance is the founder and CEO of Dora Shawal Consulting, LLC, someone named last year by Global Gaming Business Magazine, one of its 25 people to watch, our friend Brianne Dora Shawal. Brianne, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. How are you guys doing? We're doing all doing right. Good, doing good. So I, I want to start this conversation by drilling down on an article Jeff wrote this week on Sports Handle in which you played a prominent role. Uh, it was about the debate over allowing betting on the Special Olympics. And both of you are parents of children with autism. You were very conflicted in the article, understandably. Curious, where are you landing at this moment? If there were strong guardrails in place, you know, low limits, betting only on teams rather than individuals, things like that. Would you support it or is it not worth the potential blowback? Well, one, I'd like to begin by saying how grateful I am to Jeff for his time, uh, for allowing me to be truly transparent and vulnerable and honest. It was really one of those pinnacle moments for me as a mom, as well as a professional, where my two worlds collided. And while I may still at this very moment be conflicted, I think that it is one of those necessities that we all get a little uncomfortable sometimes. And it would be so easy to say, nope, not comfortable, not appropriate. And I don't think that serves well for anyone, uh, let alone in the gambling sector or my child or all of the individuals out there who do 
qualify or may participate within the Special Olympics. So at this moment in time, I'm sorry, it might be anticlimactic, but I still remain very conflicted. I'm very much about understanding an issue, gathering as much evidence as I possibly can to inform my decisions. I love talking to people who take the opposite view. It only helps me strengthen my position. And at this moment in time, I'm still very much in the information gathering stage of how do I land on this? Right. I, I, on that front, uh, information gathering, I guess, reading Jeff's article, you saw some quotes from some other people and thoughts on that. And I guess one thing that stood out to me was just um, someone saying that uh, whether you think it's OK or not, it's a really hard thing to see a state legislature, uh, a, a gambling commission signing off on be the, sort of an it's not worth the trouble kind of thing. Uh, is that how you see it, that it's unlikely to actually become legalized anytime too soon? Yes, I think that these are important discussions for us all to be having, but there are far more important topics and things that are facing gaming commissions across the globe. I find it at this moment in time to be highly unlikely that we see this enter in any sports betting catalog anytime soon yeah i I agree with that i mean i think in order for it to even like have to have in order for it to have i think the special olympics themselves would have to be on on board with it um you know one of the one of the things that you mentioned i mentioned almost everyone else that i talked to about the story mentioned like it seems like the most important guardrail everyone was talking about was uh the the threat of you know losing betters you know attacking you know whether, you know, whether on social media or in person screaming at these, you know, athletes who are already facing challenges, um, you know, about they about a losing bet or whatever. And I guess, you know, this definitely touches on, on the RG world. But I'm curious to your thoughts on, you know, Ohio, I guess, is the first to have passed the law now that, that, to talk about this. I'm, you know, I, I'm starting the more I think about it, the more I think that this might be one of the more important things in going forward, because all it's going to take is really one idiot to do something stupid to a, a, a normal athlete. And you're going to be seeing legislatures left and right saying, wait, maybe this is not such a good idea, this whole sports betting thing. Do you think that Ohio law is going to like find its way? Like, yeah, I mean, I do. yeah, I do. And I think it's really important. I'm sorry. I don't subscribe to this belief that people have been betting this whole time and that things haven't been amplified or increased, you know, because, because of legalized betting. I do believe strongly the evidence suggests that because we have normalized betting throughout our culture, people no longer feel as though they have to be discreet about it, right? Betters were not inclined to be outwardly harassing the way that they seem to be today and fear that they'd be disclosing that they were engaging in illegal behaviors, right? The act of betting itself. And so I do believe there is a direct causation and a correlation here that we are seeing an ever very worrisome trend that athletes are now being harassed at greater rates more than ever. And I feel as though it is a very important component to talk about, you know, do we or don't we bet on the Special Olympics and frankly, any sport. And so this is why Last year, I worked in coordination with Kindbridge and Sport Radar to develop an athlete well-being program because we have to be thinking about the wellness and the mental health of our athletes and what it means now to be bet on 
This is an issue very important to me. I do believe that Ohio is a national leader when it comes to putting forth a regulation like this. And I do believe it will catch on. Um, so changing subjects here, I'd love to get your perspective on a topic Jeff and I end up talking about nearly every episode, uh, the NFL's rules about sports betting. It's not exactly an RG topic, but it, it connects to some as an athlete who develops a gambling problem and goes into debt could present a unique integrity risk. Um, most of us agree that NFL players should never bet on NFL games, that that's a good rule. Um, but what about the rules about where they can and can't bet on other sports or, or rules that college athletes can't sports bet, period? Are you in favor of those rules or, or do you find some of them excessive? Well, let's be clear, like most things in gambling that the three of us talk about, there's no continuity. There's no streamline, right? So I'm very much used to this. Well, you've got this rule and you've got that rule. I'm finding it very frustrating, right? Just as consumers finding it very difficult to understand why they can bet on one thing in New York and not that in New Jersey, you know, same too with athletes. But here are the facts. Athletes are at a greater risk of having an issue with their gambling. Some evidence suggests upwards of four times that. Hmm. It is also not uncommon and actually encouraged that employers, irrespective of whatever profession you're in, have a policy on gambling. Gambling is meant to be a form of entertainment, right? Of recreation, that's its entire purpose. Should we really be doing that on the job? No, probably not. Just like we're not supposed to be drinking or engaging in the use of cannabis, right? So from my perspective, whether I agree with a certain policy or not, I feel it's well within every league and team's right to say, I'm sorry, when you're on the clock on our time, we're not supportive of you gambling. I don't think that this is an unhealthy boundary. I think that it is a very difficult juxtaposition to see how much revenue and how many business opportunities these universities and these leagues and teams are making off of gambling, but then say, hey guys, this isn't for you. But I, that's not my role to kind of comment on or deal with. But at the end of the day, I'm very supportive of all employers having a policy on gambling in the workspace. Mm. So uh, I think if, if I'm reading into that correctly, I, what she's saying, Jeff, is no more best ball drafts during work hours. No, that's part of work, though, because we write about gambling. So uh, this is, that's how you're rationalizing it. It's okay. not a rationalization. It's a fact. I mean, I, who knows? I mean, I'm doing research. Jesus. Honestly, I'm you telling know, that, you. That is one of those items, right? Certain times, if you're in the gambling space, then maybe you do have to visit a casino or engage mm -hmm. in the products. On the other hand, I'm nodding vigorously for those who can't see this, by the way. Yes. <laughs> On the other hand, when you don't find yourself in the gambling industry, maybe it's best to keep that for after hours. And yeah, I hear you on the road, in a hotel, in the park. I get it. But at the end of the day, the NFL and the other leagues are not the only ones that have these type of you know, requirements about what is and is not acceptable. I know we're talking about my role here today as a mom and as an RG expert, but I'm also a military spouse. And if you really want to get into the nuances of what it looks like to have a spouse that has a lot of stringent requirements about 
what they can and cannot do during work hours and even off work hours, right? I mean, we need to get approval before we want to go on vacation somewhere, even if it's his downtime. So I'm sorry, I'm not probably the most empathetic person to talk about <laughs> if there's some requirements about what you can and cannot do at work. Right. But no, that that I just like the fact that we're getting a different perspective because Jeff and I, you know, are sort of have hive minded a bit on eh, what's uh, what's wrong with betting on the team bus or in the team facility. But it's so this is why we have guests on the show on occasion to at least raise the counterpoint. So I, yeah, I, I like that sure. you brought that. And honestly, I appreciate that very much. I myself try, like I said at the start, to surround myself with differing opinions. I think that's how we all get better able to articulate our personal positions. And also there is enough hatred and misunderstanding in this world. If you're not willing to be, I don't want to say challenged per se, but surrounded by something that is not in a vacuum or like-minded to you. I mean, this is in essence how we break down stigma and discrimination and hatred. It's just understanding where someone else is coming from. You know, I, I, for my last question, you know, I, the, as I'm thinking here, you know, when, you know, you talk about like prohibition in the 20s, right? It, it, you were either for or against. There's, there was nobody saying, well, maybe, a, you know, a few bottles of gin a week is OK. Right. You know, you go to the abortion debate. No one's like, well, maybe a little bit of abortion is just fine. You know, but RG kind of sits in the middle between the anti-gambling forces and like the, the pro-gambling forces. Right. And I mean, you, you guys really are like there to kind of bridge this divide um you've obviously been doing this for a long time you know we've now seen sports betting really take off and just continue to grow and we still have obviously the three big states to go but where do you do you you see what you do and the you know the responsible gambling stuff in general as succeeding going forward and bridging this divide well, thank you for your kind words. I've been talking about responsible and problem gambling before it was the cool thing to be talking about, right? right? It's obviously something I feel is really important. And we're starting to see it get the attention that it deserves, right? So responsible gambling, if done right, does its best to prevent problems from happening, to prevent as many individuals as possible from finding themselves struggling with a gambling problem. Both must exist within the ecosystem to be successful, right? Because we know problem gambling infrastructure is increasingly getting uh, underfunded, right? DC just swept its $200,000, right? It's not a well-established system. And so the more and aggressively we can be focusing on responsible gambling and the preventing of problems, one, the better the public is, and two, the public health infrastructure will not be crippled because it needs to be utilized more than it can support. And so really, I can't think of a more important thing for us to be aggressively pursuing, uh, especially now. We're still very much in our infancy and in the nascency of sports betting. Uh, the more we get on top of this, maybe we can avoid the same fates and public health crisis that the likes of the UK is facing or Australia at the moment. I really remain hopeful, not just because I started my business around RG, but I remain hopeful that people in this ecosystem see the value of putting the consumer and player at the nucleus of our efforts. And that, in essence, is the definition of 
responsible gambling. I think you should get like one of those like uh, Wonder Woman suits, like with RG, like you know, across mm. the you know the the front. What do you think? Full on RG superhero. Yeah, mm. I could I could do it. I don't think it's that cool yet. Jack, but I, think <laughs> I am pretty sure my kids will think I'm cooler before um, anybody thinks I'm like, yeah, a superhero uh, suit in RG. But thanks for that. That made my day. But, but your point is well taken, right? Because you, you see what's going on in the UK and Australia, and like the, you know, banning of ads and talk, you know, all, you know, all the you know, a lot of problems that they're having, and you think that we're We've seen the problems that happen there, and there's there's still plenty of time for us to nip it in the bud, basically. Absolutely. And we've seen a few regulators and even industry players really start to show their muscles, right? And say, no, this needs to become more of a priority, or we're going to suffer the same fate, if not worse. I mean, remember, yeah. we talk a lot about the UK, but it's, what, roughly the size of Michigan, right, Alabama? Right. I mean, we're talking that 50 times over we better have our act in line or we're going to suffer some pretty significant problems yeah i mean we got to do it ourselves the industry before the legislatures decide to do it or the at worst obviously the federal government deciding to do something about it well honestly i don't see it that way i see it as uh Let's work collaboratively. But you know that that's the one thing that I get asked a lot. How do you work with all these different players? Doesn't that make people uncomfortable? You're working with legislators, regulators, the industry. But I think that's my strength here Mm. is that I do see all the different and unique perspectives of each of these stakeholders. And I feel that there's a lot more that we can gain in consensus and working collaboratively than divides us. And if the industry is willing to do it, then why be so fearful about having the regulators put it in established regulations? You know, if you have nothing to hide or not trying to skirt around it, then sure, have an accountability measure. I don't know, maybe it's naive, maybe it's the warm and fuzzy policies. I I don't know what it is, but. I believe that there's a real opportunity here to be doing it together than in silos. Well, to learn more about the collaborative work that uh, Brianne is doing with various people in the industry, you can go to the website for her company. It is consultbds.com. Brianne, always great talking to you. Thanks so much for coming on Gamble On again. Thanks so much for having me. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Let's update our betting bankroll. And all I can say is thank goodness for Jordan Canada and for you knowing when to make a two-unit bet. Uh, That was the difference for us between the subpar week that we had and the utterly disastrous week we could have had. All five of my British Open bets lost. I had Southland to miss the cut, and he made it easily. I had Finau and Gooch top 10, and they both missed the cut. My winner bets were less embarrassing. Rahm and Homa both did well, but they didn't win the tournament. So I lost us $165 on all that, and I may be done betting on golf based on liking what I'm hearing on a podcast. Uh, My other two bets also lost. I had the Diamondbacks over the Braves as a money line underdog, and they took a two-run lead into the bottom of the eighth and blew it. That cost us $50, and I had Noya in a way by decision. He scored an eighth-round knockout, another $50 gone. As for your bets, Jeff, your parlay of four pitchers to hit the over on their strikeout props went three for four, of course. Standard, standard. <laughs> uh, by the way, I strongly considered 
laddering Spencer Strider as my bet last week, and right. he had 13 strikeouts. Right. But uh, yeah, strongly considering bets doesn't get you anywhere. It turns <laughs> out. Uh, so we lost thirty dollars on that parlay. We also dropped 115 on the over on Courtney Williams' assists, uh, but we got a fair amount back with your two-unit bet on Canada under one and a half three-pointers. She hit one of them. We won $200. So for the week, we lost 210. Not too awful, considering we went one for 10 on bets. Uh, <laughs> we're now down by $2,823. We also have $1,797 on hold in futures bets. And that leaves us with $5,380 available to bet with this week. And you are up first, Jeff. I'm looking towards the future with my bets this week. First one, is, I, 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 Eagles. NFC conference champions, hundred bucks at plus three thirty. I know it's not a great bet because like the odds are too low. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, but it's not real money. I don't. I'm not actually tying it up. <laughs> I I just look at the NFC. The Eagles are just they they are a tier. Of, they are two tiers above. I think every other team in, in the in the conference. It'll take like you know a lot of bad luck and or bad injuries to de- derail this team. I think. So that's it. Hun- mm-hmm. Eagles NFC conference champs for hundred bucks at three thirty. All right. That feels like uh, not, a, I not, know. A great, not a great price. And uh, there's just a million I things. That, I mean, certainly I agree that it's hard to imagine them not having a solid regular season and making the playoffs. But, uh, you know, to bank on them to win the NFC. I don't know. I I, I have to do something to uh, reverse jinx a little bit here and, and act like I'm not enthused about this. Sure. No, I, just, I understand that. I, I respect that. But it's just. If if it makes you feel any better, this is this is technically uh, part one of a three bet trio. Okay, I uh, can't wait to hear parts two and three. Um, so uh, I'm doing boxing bets, uh, all boxing this week. Uh, my baseball bets have been lousy. My golf bets have been lousy. I wish I was coming off a winning boxing week to justify this, but you know, overall, my boxing bets tend not to be lousy, and this is about as big a boxing week as you'll ever see with the huge Terence Crawford Errol Spence fight in Vegas on Saturday. So I'm doing nothing but boxing bets on this episode of the podcast. You'll recall that back in April, before the fight was even signed, I bet on Crawford to win at minus 112. He's now between minus 146 and minus 190, so. Hooray me. Moral victory, at least, already. Um, I have two prop bets to add on the fight. Um, Good chance we're looking at a fight that goes the full 12 rounds here and is close. A majority decision is the most rare type of decision, uh, unanimous being most common, followed by split. For a majority decision, you need one judge to score the fight even, and then the other two both score in favor of the winning fighter. So any fight to end in majority decision tends to have long odds. But this is the sort of fight where a majority decision is about as likely as it's ever going to be. And DraftKings has the fight to end in a majority decision, regardless of which guy wins, at plus 750. I, I think that's worth a stab. So let's go $30 to win 225 And then one silly little prop. FanDuel has a bunch of props on knockdowns and one that caught my eye. The payout seemed a little too high. They're paying plus 1600 on a knockdown to be scored anytime in the first four rounds. Neither of these fighters has ever been knocked down in a pro fight. Uh, so I, I recognize that this is more likely to lose than to win. But at plus 1600, we just need one flash knockdown. One guy lands one good punch on the other guy is a little off balance. One guy gets caught a bit cold early. And we cash. So 25 to win 400 on that one. All right. I think boxing needs to lean into betting a lot more. There's a lot of fun ways to bet boxing, huh? 
Yeah, there, 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 there can be. There's a, a lot of fun ways to at least give yourself a sweat. Um, right. And 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 as uh, since my other bets are on the undercard and not on Spence Crawford, I'll just note here that one of my favorite ways to bet this particular fight is to is to live bet it and we'll wait and see if Crawford falls behind a little bit early and becomes plus money and then pounce on him. So that's right. uh, one other recommendation that we can't use the bankroll for. All right. Uh, so I got the Eagles in the NFC. I'm going to the AFC. Give mm-hmm. me your Los Angeles Chargers, uh, plus fourteen hundred to win the AFC at Bet Rivers, hundred hundred dollars for that. Uh, the way I'm looking at it, the AFC there there is not a clear one A. Uh, you know, you got the Chiefs, obviously. You got the Bengals. You got the Bills. You, you have dark horses, I think, and the Dolphins. Um, you know, the Ravens. You know, I, you're the last team to score is going to win the AFC this year. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's said. really. Yeah, you know what I'm. You know. And I think the Chargers with, you know, they got Kellen Moore calling the plays. He he is going everything that I've read about how Kellen Moore calls a game and what Justin Herbert's strengths are. Uh, it, and their offensive line is improved. They got a Slater back. What, I think Slater's his name. They got they drafted Quinton Johnson. They have a they have a deep you know, they may have the, the best four receiver tandem in the league with uh, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Quinton Johnson, Josh Palmer. You got Everett at tight end, Eckler in the backfield. I don't know. I, I I'm I'm I love this team, and I, it shows in my underdog best ball <laughs> right. percentages. My God, I got like a third of, of. I mean, really, I I need to start like you know I need to diversify a little bit. <laughs> I need to throttle down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I I think that this team is going to come out firing, and and I'm taking them to win the AFC. Yeah, I, I I think that's the right price. I like that at plus fourteen hundred. More, uh, frankly, more than I like the Eagles at at plus three thirty. Yeah. Uh, all right, and I have I have a a guess of what your uh, third bet may be, but, mm-hmm, but uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll, we'll wait on that. Um, on the Spence Crawford undercard, we have future Hall of Famer Nanito Donaire against lesser known Alexandro Santiago. Santiago is one of those fighters who's better than his record suggests. He he suffered a bunch of losses and draws early in his career when he was still a teenager. He's a legit contender now. He has a pain-in-the-ass style, and Donaire is 40, and he's coming off a long layoff and a two-round knockout loss to the aforementioned Naoya Inoue in his last fight. This fight was originally supposed to take place two weeks ago, and I was ever so slightly leaning towards Santiago to win, regardless of odds. Um, It got delayed two weeks, meaning... These guys were peaking, they were ready to make weight, and then had to maintain that for two extra weeks of training camp. That seems more likely to adversely affect a 40-year-old than a 27-year-old. So, look, this is a fight that could go either way, but I ever so slightly favor Santiago, and he's a plus-130 underdog. I hate to root against Donaire, but I gotta do it. Uh, Taking youth to prevail, $100 to win $130 on Santiago. All right. For my final bet this week... Uh, Eagles to beat the Chargers in the Super Bowl yeah. at plus ten thousand, and and the Chargers to beat the Eagles in the Super Bowl inexplicably at plus nine thousand, uh, which is you know tells you wow you that's need. weird. No, that's that's weird, right? That's yeah. the best I could find though. I probably yeah. should, I could have looked harder, but that's the best I could find. Uh, so that's what we're doing. Twenty five on each. Twenty five on each. Wow. So uh, if one of those hits, twenty five times a hundred, that's pretty good money. Yeah, we're doing all right. We're we're almost well. Who knows? We could be we could be behind by six thousand by then. That's a, that's yeah. several months from now. But in theory, starting from where we are right now, could get us back to even. Yeah, that's the plan. All right. Um, not to mention that uh, if it hits, that means the other two bets uh, hit as that's well. Right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Um, so I have 
One last Spence Crawford undercard bet. Uh, Isak Pitbull Cruz is up against Giovanni Cabrera. Cabrera has a nice record, but he's fought nobody. And I heard from a friend of a friend of a friend that he nearly got his nose broken in sparring recently. Uh, Cruz is like a minus 1400 favorite here. And he's like a minus 280 favorite to win by knockout. I don't love those prices. Um, but uh, shout out to Action Network's Brian Fonseca for pointing this one out on the Action Network pod that we were on on Tuesday. Cruz by KO in rounds one through six is plus 170. Cruz is a badass. I've seen him blitz quite a few opponents early. His last two fights were a KO2 and a KO5. He had a tremendous KO1 over Diego Magdaleno in 2020. In total, 16 of the 17 knockouts on his record have come in the first six rounds. So I like this bet a lot. Let's go $100 to win 170. Cruz by KO in rounds one through six. You know, little known fact, my nickname is not Pitbull. <laughs> what did we say it was uh, the other day? Uh, media, frighteningly mediocre? Frighteningly mediocre. Yeah, that's yes. that's your boxing nickname. That one's sticking. <laughs> uh, and that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to this week's guest, Brianne Dora Shawal. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and Jeff at Jeff Edelstein and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. A quick programming note that uh, Jeff has a well-deserved vacation coming up, so the next two episodes will feature guest co-hosts. You won't hear from Jeff again until mid-August. So for the last time for a couple of weeks, Jeff, please impart some words of wisdom and take us out. Well, yeah, as, as you as you mentioned, I am going on vacation, Eric. Two weeks, you know, much like Tricky Dick Nixon after the 62 California gubernatorial election. He won't have me to kick around anymore, <laughs> you know, for two weeks. Right. Uh, and, you know, because I'm in such a good mood right now and I'm pretty much already checked out, uh, I'd like to take this moment to say thank you to you, Eric, for giving me a chance to co-host this podcast. And thank you to the listeners for, you know, listening. Uh, you know, I got to tell you, if you told 15 year old Jeff that he would one day be hosting a gambling podcast, he'd probably say something like, what the fuck is a podcast? Right. And can you smoke it? Well, alas, <laughs> little Jeff, no, you can't smoke it. But you can give smoking hot takes, which I will continue to do in a few weeks. But for today, listen, man, in 48 hours time, I'll be on a flight to Costa Rica where the only gambling I'll be doing is risking my marriage by having joined a dozen or two dozen or three dozen slow underdog drafts before I leave. Yeah, wish me luck on that. So until we meet again, and again, that will be in two weeks. Hold your tears. Please, everybody, gamble on.